Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm joined by Tracy Pearson here on this beautiful uh, Tuesday morning, the week after uh, UCLA uh, made a statement under Chip Kelly. And uh, I don't know, probably should be in the playoff this year. Tracy, your thoughts? (laughs) You know, it's funny that you and I both wrote a story each. You use the word breakthrough. I use whole new world. Um, all the guys, well, I shouldn't say guys, all the people on the forum were talking about how they're still just giddy as of yesterday, uh, Monday. It, it, is, it, is, it is a whole new kind of perspective on life um, when UCLA has just a good football team. Um, it's, it's amazing what it can do for you. (laughs) And it's very sad in a way too, but it is amazing. And I, I, you know, all the pundits go too far one way before they didn't give UCLA enough credit preseason. Now, I mean, uh, there's people talking, I mean, the AP poll will come out today and, but we'll publish this before that, um, top 10, you know, Brock Heward wasn't it wasn't Brock Heward, it was Kirk Herbstreet and oh no, uh Bill Conley saying potential playoff team. So I don't know if that's too much of a react you know, reaction the other way, but the team is good, Dave. It was clear in in that game the team is good. Yeah, what I see it as is uh the road of possibility is open. Um, because yeah, they're good. Uh, we don't know. I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit. Don't know how good LSU is. Um, but for the same reason, beating Hawaii by 34 in the opener, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot about Hawaii, but any team that beats another team with D1 athletes, uh, by 34 points. Well, okay. All right. And UCLA, what they did to LSU beating them by 11 should have been a lot more. And um, so should have Hawaii should have been sixty to three. Yeah, Hawaii play. easily could have been if that's the thing is and I made this analogy I think talking to a friend, but it's when you beat them explosively at the beginning, like you just beat the the full bladder of pee out of them right at the beginning, then you don't actually get the 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 reps to really put it on them from a score standpoint because it's over in the second quarter. You got to like just kind of lightly punch them in the kidneys the entire game. That's where you get your 66 to threes. Um, UCLA absolutely could have put that pasting on Hawaii. And then against LSU, they should have won by three touchdowns. I was kind of joking um, in the pre in the, in the, in the lead up to the game, like, oh, they're going to beat them by like four or five touchdowns. I thought they were going to win because looking at LSU a little bit closer, it was, um, it seemed like a really good matchup in retrospect for UCLA. Um, but I didn't actually think they were going to win by three or four touchdowns, and then they probably should have. Like, that should have been the result of that game. So many, um, they forced a couple of fumbles in the backfield, and those get picked up at easily a 50-50 rate, usually by the defense. Um, neither of them got picked up by UCLA. Uh, they allowed that junk time, essentially, touchdown for LSU. They took their pedal off, they took their foot off the pedal on their final drive just to ice the game. Um, just so many reasons why UCLA um, could have, maybe should have won this game by three touchdowns that, again, that has to make you optimistic, even if you acknowledge that LSU might not be LSU from two years ago, might be more like LSU from last year. It's still LSU talent, Um, and doing that to LSU talent 
is an entirely different statement from what you're doing against Hawaii talent. Yeah. Um, the thing that really stood out to me, I mean, obviously you and I have already analyzed it pretty deeply. Um, the, uh, like a, a theme that stood out to me, and I, and I know I, I can bet, well, a couple of friends who watched the game reiterated this to me. At halftime, after that second quarter, UCLA had played well and, and owned that second quarter. And then at halftime... Fans, naturally, you know, good fans who know what they're doing, saying, okay, there, there's going to be a momentum uh, swing back. There has to be. There always is. You know, even if UCLA comes out in the third quarter and does well, there's going to be a momentum swing. And LSU uh, had the ball to start the second half. So you were kind of bracing for it. Even, even when that initially didn't happen in the third quarter, you were still thinking – the momentum swing's coming. It never came. Uh, UCLA dominated and kept dominating. You never felt LSU was getting back in the game and that the momentum, like a few good possessions, then UCLA threes and outs, that never happened. Um, and, and what that means was that this team was not only good enough, but I think mature and experienced enough to be able to keep its foot down on the pedal against LSU. That, that was really significant. I don't think you or I wrote that anywhere that they, that they, they dominated the game and kept the game, kept dominating the game for the entire second half. That was, that was amazing. What they did is honestly the reverse of so many times we've watched, um, you know, especially in the Durrell and Neuheisel era, is like an undermanned UCLA team putting together a competitive game against a much better team, but then they just kind of keep their hand on your forehead and keep you in kind of, um, you know, just outside of shouting distance. That's how it kind of felt when I, I think LSU, they scored a touchdown to make, I think, 21-17 um, at one point. And then UCLA just marches right back down, gets a field goal, and then it's 24-17. Um, and it's just, uh, it was just, you know, kind of just keeping them at arm's length, um, basically once the game got out of its blocks, right? Cause that first quarter was just, honestly, it was just messy watching it again. It was just kind of messy. UCLA snaps were all over the place. Um, their pressure was getting to Max Johnson. He wasn't really able to complete much of anything. So it was just zero, zero. Um, but th- once the game actually started getting going, um, UCLA just kind of outclassed them. Um, and I think it's a great point about the maturity. Uh, they showed the maturity to keep a team like LSU from really getting going. Um, just uh, basically, I mean, th- got to credit the game plans on both sides of the ball because they essentially, uh, on offense, they said, okay, you've got a big advantage between your corners and our outside receivers. So, we're just not going to use that. We're just not going to do that. And we're going to completely neutralize that by not even going to our outside guys on the outside. It's just going to be everything basically between the hashes. Um, And then on defense, they basically said, okay, we don't have an advantage here. So what we're going to do is just try to hit you so quickly that you're not going to be able to complete anything to your receivers who have an advantage over our corners. And it was exactly what it needed to be, which was successful a good half the time. Um, yeah, they were able to complete some stuff. They were always going to be able to complete some stuff, um, but they hit him enough that it was disrupted. Um, so oftentimes, even if he wasn't getting hit, he wasn't throwing accurately. 
And oftentimes they were actually just hitting him and preventing him from throwing the ball. Um, it was just really well done. Uh, really uh, one of the best coached games, I think, for UCLA in a long, long time on both sides of the ball. Yeah, a, a few points about, about that too. And we could go on and on about uh, about the level of coaching um, and the contrast in coaching. But Chip Kelly's game plan is made to set you his offensive game plan is made to set you up at the beginning of the game does a few things that maybe don't gain a lot of yards but it sets you up for later in the game first and then secondly wear you down so if he has guys that are experienced and talented and big and you know physically developed um by the second half this is how it should be where he's able to control the game because of the running game because of what he set up during the entire game. And mm-hmm. you you can see that. You've heard Chip say a number of times, well, you know, we were doing a lot of things at the beginning of the game, and then uh, as the game wore on, we you could see some things opened up. <laughs> that's his game plan. That it, I mean, that's Chip Kelly's offensive game plan in a nutshell. Things are going – he designs it so that things will open up. And that's yeah. that's exactly what happened. And then – I don't know if you've watched a lot. <laughs> I have to admit, I've been completely entertained. LSU has an amazing amount of commentators and analysts that have all of their little YouTube shows. And, I mean, analyzing that game, they go on for like an hour or two hours almost. I mean, it's it's incredible. How many <laughs> – and some really good stuff, some great X's and O's analysis. Like, they've got they got like 10 Chris Osgoods out there. Um but and watching those shows, and you know, of course, all those guys are flabbergasted at how bad LSU was. But a point they kept making too, which is obvious when you start breaking down this game, is how how outcoached LSU was compared to what UCLA did in that game. And it was so much of UCLA doing some really dynamic things on, uh, you know, just. Uh, Definitely on the offense and absolutely with all the blitz packages and all the disguise pressure and everything on defense. Compared to LSU, LSU's standard four-man front on on defense, I mean, you know, they twisted a little sometimes, but damn, and so many of those commentators are all, okay, watch LSU's defense how predictable is that? How easy is it to pick up all the pressure? And watch UCLA's, you don't know where anyone's coming from. So completely outcoached. And a lot of it is that, yeah, UCLA right now has a good coaching staff. Um, and they're doing good things that are kind of cutting edge and very smart things. But you've got to contrast it that, Wow, LSU's LSU's scheme and game plan is what from 1997. I mean, it I can is... actually tell you where it's from. I can tell you where it's from. Wow, it's from 2010 UCLA because that's where their defensive coordinator is from. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I uh, you know I mentioned this in our podcast last week. Those coordinators had UCLA stink all over them, and not good UCLA. They had bad UCLA stink all over them. And you know what? That looked like bad UCLA stink when we watched on the field on uh, on the weekend. Um, yeah, no, it, that, that defensive scheme, um, somebody posted it on the board. I'm going to forget the um, poster. 
But a quote from Durante Jones at the beginning of last week about how they want to be a fundamentally sound defense. They want to be relatively simple. They want to, you know, not do not try to do too much. Let their talent show. And you know what that sounded like to me? That sounded like Jeff Ulbrich, no gimmicks. And you know yeah. what we saw? We saw Jeff Ulbrich, no gimmicks. And you know what the the thing that that was big about the Jeff Ulbrich's no no gimmicks defense? It wasn't good. They had a ton of talent, and it was bad. Um, yeah. And that's what I saw from LSU because, frankly, I think that LSU defense is pretty talented. Even their linebackers, who I thought played exceptionally poorly, those are athletic dudes. Um, if they were in a different scheme, they would probably be playing a lot better. Um, and that defensive line, they have LSU size. They have LSU athleticism. Uh, they those ends were beating Sean Ryan and Alec Anderson with some frequency. Um, I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson was under fire, but they were doing it on talent alone. There was no advantage being given to them by the scheme. Um, so I would say offensively, I, I could go either way on what Jake Peets did for LSU. Uh, I think Max Johnson's actually going to be pretty decent. Um, I, I, I liked the way he stood in there. He showed some toughness. Um, he wasn't as flummoxed by the pressure as I thought he would be, given his lack of overall experience. But defensively, I thought that was a really poorly coached game. Uh, I, I think they've got a they've got a real dud on the defensive side, um, and that's going to be an issue for them. Um, but that's that's still LSU talent, and um, the way UCLA was able to lean on them, um, the offensive line on that defensive line in the running game. Um, what Alec Anderson was able to do to him, what Paul Gratton was able to do to him, that was um, mature strength. Um, Got to give credit to uh, Keith Belton, strength and conditioning. Um, but that was uh, that was the most impressive line play, I think, on both sides of the ball I've uh, maybe ever seen from UCLA. Maybe? Yeah. Um, and it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, yeah, give credit to strengthen conditioning, uh, Keith Belton, because UCLA looked uh, comparable in size and, and strength. Uh, so there's that. Um, but there are so many subtleties to knowing, uh, to doing things right. Uh, there's so many nuances. Just, you know, an offensive lineman being able to get the right angle and be on the right, the correct shoulder of his blocker or... And someone who's pulling to go directly to the spot, not go in a half semicircle. Just there's so many little details. Oh my God, the Charbonnet touchdown run, that 12 yard touchdown run. Yeah, that, that thing was a thing of beauty. It was executed so. Oh well. my God. I mean, they've had they had I think in it it was it was Kyle Phillips and uh, uh, Dulcich pulling. Yeah, well, and there was another one where they had um, they had Coda and Sykes as lead blockers on one of the Charbonnet runs, yeah. and it was it was beautiful. I, yeah. And the the and that's look not to like we're we're getting real like real um, like oh god this team's so great, but when you have that level of commitment from your like I don't know fourth or fifth string receiver to just get out there and block, um, that makes a team's offense. It, it makes it so much better. Like, if you remember, and this is why I cited that in the unit by unit today, but the early Jim Mora teams had that. Like, Shaq Evans, the way he blocked um, was a huge part of why those offenses succeeded. You haven't really seen that from UCLA in the last, I don't know, eight years. Um, 
just that level of commitment from the receiving core um, to get out there and block downfield. We've now seen it in two straight games. Kaz well, Mike, Allen. Mike, Mike Martinez, too. <laughs> oh, and uh, Mike Martinez. Um, Mike Aziki, uh played well Aziki. in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you have that kind of commitment across the board, when Kaz Allen is downfield blocking um, on, a, on a running play, when you have Kyle Phillips... <laughs> Basically, I, I, on that Charbonnet run, I didn't catch who it was initially. And I'm like, who was that? Because that looked like, you know, some big dude going out there and trucking some guy. And it was, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, little Kyle Phillips just going out there and blocking. Kyle and then the Phillips. block, the block he put on on the Brown touchdown run was was so yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Phillips might have, I mean, I don't know if you can say this. Kyle Phillips probably might have helped his pro stock. More in this game, I, yeah. Just I know that one that one uh, yards after the catch w- was pretty phenomenal. But he might have helped. He only had two receptions, and you know, NFL teams want look for a f- well-rounded player and receivers. They want blockers, dude. You might have earned some money, <laughs> yeah, against LSU because uh, you got to give a shout out to Kyle Phillips blocking in that. In that it was game. so good. It yeah. was so good. Um, so, but- so the the thing is the the, uh, and we're not even talking about. It. We know we've known about Chip's offense. We know about how well orchestrated and how how sound and how a dynamic the running game is. But the big the big question mark coming into the season was the defense and its scheme and. We saw it last year. We both loved it. Everyone had to love it. But there were some question marks with the way it ended the season. And then Hawaii, which, you know, you can't come inconclusive, let's say. Um, and another qualifier, LSU isn't very, isn't very good. But the defense and its scheme is really something. I mean, I, I want to do a little research to see... I mean, obviously, there are nickel defenses around the country, but do they have the kind of blitz packages and the kind of pre-snap movements and the kind of disguise pressure that that UCLA is running? And can you can you scout this out? Can you get can you find tendencies? Because I started to look and started to chart it, and I gave up. <laughs> Yeah, because it was too hard. There's, there's no, there's so much pre-snap movement, and if you, I mean, this is time-consuming too. And I gave up. Uh, you start, okay, they're in, they're lined up this way, then they're lined up this way. They're almost never lined up the same way when the ball snapped. It's almost all always different. And then, you know, there's like, there's zone bl- what we would call we used to call I don't know what they call it, zone blitzes where you know defensive linemen drop into coverage. They were doing it. There was never I didn't see a tendency. So no, there wasn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it. And they they this was I mean they threw out every single thing in the bag of tricks in this one. Hawaii was a little bit more I won't say subdued, but a little bit more a um, little bit less variation. This one was everything. I mean, they had. But so, is uh, it, Dave? Is there more left? I mean, because I, I mean, I guess ended. what I'm saying is this: this felt like everything to the point where, yeah. I mean, how would you pick out a tendency? Because it looked like they did about thirty different things. Um, and then, how do you design this? I mean, on specific calls, like in specific formations, in Pacific down and distance. Okay, um, 
um, Calvert, you're going to line up off the line. Then you're going to threaten like you're up. Then you're going to drop. And then, I mean, how how do you orchestrate this? I, I don't know. I would love to get like a deep dive from somebody uh, at some point because some of it has to be like player dictated. Like it some has of it's to like be. communication on the field because what they're doing with their pre-snap movement and then it's the amount of talking that's going on. Like, I think there must be like kind of options to some of this stuff that they there can do pre-snap. There has um, to be. And they do talk a lot. You're right. They talk a lot. So, and it's a very experienced defense, so they can do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really impressive thing to watch. And the thing is, it's going to be boom or bust. This isn't going to be a defense that like, I don't know, one of those like top tier SEC defenses like Georgia or something is just going to suffocate you. Like it's not going to do that. I think the run defense is really, really good. Um, I think they've got the defensive tackle play finally to be really, really good um, against the run. I just don't know if they've got necessarily the corner play to really shut down the pass. Um, but that's why this pressure works. That's why it makes sense. And being a little boomer bust is no big deal if you're getting there and creating havoc um, with some frequency. And here's an interesting wrinkle that I think people should you know acknowledge going into um, – the next 10 games pac 12 quarterback play is down it's this is going to be one of the weakest years for pac 12 quarterbacking uh probably in memory um you've got keaton slovis at usc who's pretty good you've got Jaden daniels at asu who's pretty good and then you've got a whole lot of crap um pretty much across the board um what ucla is going to be facing is a lot of teams where um this sort of uh this sort of pressure um, could really, really disrupt some teams. Like, imagining this going against what uh, Utah has this year, what Colorado has this year, what Arizona has this year, um, what Stanford has this year. Jeez. Jack um, West. Oh. Ooh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. But even even what Oregon has this year, even what Washington has this year, there's not a lot of stability at the position. There's not a lot just, of good just there. not a gr- not a lot of great decision making. That's the thing. No. And and to beat this defense, there 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 are going to be teams that get an edge on this defense. And the first way to do it is that you're going to be able to run on it. And and, and I still think team there will be some teams that are able to run on UCLA, like maybe Utah, uh, ASU. I think ASU. There there are going to be some teams that can run. And if you have got to identify that, the weaknesses, and that's probably, I mean, I, I don't mean to denigrate them. Uh, it's probably going to be running at Bo Calvert um, on the edge um, yeah, because just the foot speed issue. But I don't think it's going to be that easy. The defensive tackle play is a lot better. Otito Ogbonia, you guys were saying it. I didn't quite believe it. That dude has changed. His body yeah. is different. He kind of um, looks completely different, doesn't he? He looks like an NFL lineman now. Yeah. Um, and that guy is playing really, really well. He looks so much more mobile than he did uh, two years ago, especially. Um, he's really good now. Uh, Daytona yeah. Jackson hasn't really shown up stats wise, but he's been pretty good. No, um, he, he really I, he impressed me a number of times in this game when I isolated. He didn't make the play. But dude, he did some stuff. He he got around his man. He filled the gap. He did his assignment. Yeah. Really well. That, and wait, the second part is that there you can beat this defense with a composed quarterback who can make a good, quick decision with good receivers. Now, yeah. 
that could be USC because Slovis is probably the best quarterback in the Pac-12. But on the other side of the coin, if you uh, this is a good segue into wow the Pac-12. Whoa, that was a bad weekend. The Pac-12 is woof. so right now, um, just from a UCLA angle, UCLA is the best team in the Pac-12. Um, I don't As of think this moment, yes. I don't think yes. there's any question about it right now. Oregon, I think, is, uh, for, to my eye, Oregon and USC both looked like um, teams that might have been playing with their food a little bit. Um, they're probably a little bit better than they looked, um, but certainly not as good as UCLA looked. Um, you know, Oregon very well could have lost to Fresno State. Um, and uh, USC, it, it looks a little, if you didn't watch that game, oh, 30 to 7, they were just kind of slow going. It was 13 to 7 late, and San Jose State had the ball and threw a pick six. Uh, if that doesn't happen, that's an entirely different game as well. Um, so I'd you've say got, it looks, yeah, go ahead. So you've got those two teams. We're both excited and cutting each other off. Have you noticed Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But literally the rest of the Pac-12, I mean, even ASU and Utah and their blowout FCS wins didn't look that good. Uh, Colorado didn't look that good against Northern Colorado. And then it seemed like basically everyone else looked like poo. Just actually, Arizona was one of the few that didn't look like poo. They looked pretty well coached, um, completely under-talented. They're playing full-on walk-ons at a lot of positions, uh, but they lost by eight to BYU. Um, everyone else looked bad, really bad. Yeah, uh, to me, uh, we have had two weeks to watch UCLA, but uh, I think UCLA looks clear right now clearly the best team. And then there's a group of, let's say, USC, Oregon, Utah, Arizona State, that you could make a case uh, for any... Uh, USC and Oregon probably have the most talent. Arizona State looked... Looked okay, looked good, looked solid, I think. Uh, they're going to have a running game, which I you always got to go back to. Utah is always going to have a defense. But the the stunning one, really, if you watched Washington against Montana, I mean, Washington made Montana look like a Pac-12 con- contender. I That offense was just so ineffectual and it wasn't just Dylan Morris it because he's not great he's not good but he's not horrible and I hate to keep bagging on the guy but he's not Jack West um but man the 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 scheme and the play calling was was so I mean they threw horizontally time and time and time again just no nothing vertical no challenge down through the seams mm-hmm. it, and they couldn't run which is really stunning for it it was funny watching that game that announcers are hyping Washington at the beginning and they had a good first series and they're hyping them this has to be one of the best offensive lines in the country and then really shut down when it came to their running game that was the that was the stunner for me of of the weekend, and I I don't want to go out to say that you know already to say Washington's not very good because they have some guys they've got and they've got experience they're similar in a way to UCLA with some talent and experience, 
But I, uh, this offensive scheme was really questionable. And that's why they're not going to be very good because that's not going to change because that's John Donovan. Um, he's been bad for a long time. They never should have hired him. Uh, bad offensive coordinator. Uh, this I had a funny tweet actually uh, from somebody I follow who's a Washington guy. Um, it, it, it was almost the exact same stat line offensively for Washington in this game where they scored seven points as it was against Miami in 2001, maybe the best college football team ever uh, when Washington lost 65 to seven. It was like 290 yards, 22 first downs and seven points exactly. Exact same stat line against Montana um, in 2021. Uh, yeah, horrible. Um, Montana's then, quarterback was better than more. Yeah, and too. Montana, I mean, let's be fair. This isn't like Southern Utah. Montana is a really good FCS program. They should beat, like, the occasional group of five or whatever. Uh, they should not be beating what was projected to be a top four Pac-12 team. Uh, I'd say even more. Uh, there were a lot of prognostications. That yes, some people thought the they would win the conference. Yeah. Um, but uh, r- whatever, I, I don't think anyone had them outside of the top four. Um, and uh, to beat them is 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 fully nuts. Um, Utah State that was that was expected to be a bad Utah State team, and they beat Washington State. Um, Nevada beat Cal, and Nevada was wow. expected did to be decent. Watch, no great shakes. Did you watch that game again? Just terrible offense. Terrible wow. offense from Cal. It's so um, amazing too because two years ago they had that they had a spread and it was effective. It was good. Then then they brought in spacing on his name. Who's the older offensive coordinator they brought in last year? Um, old old NFL guy. Yeah, Bill or, Musgrave. Bill Musgrave. Yeah, another That's a bad kind of hire. Where you say this is a coach that everyone respect respects in the in the industry. Like him, he knows his stuff. So he's available. You hire him. Wow. No, it's not working in any yeah. way. So yeah, it's really bad. Dang. But we, I, I gotta, gotta talk about Stanford just a little bit. Wow. Because it's so juicy. It's so yeah. awesome. Because both you and I, even independently, without even conferring on this, said this is the year Stanford goes down. <laughs> and like not like two years ago, they went down. This is the year they go down in flames. And David Shaw was talking in the preseason. Oh, my God, this offensive line. It's maybe the best offensive line I've had in five years. That offensive line looked like trash against Kansas State. They looked yeah. awful. Um, Jack West, I, I, I honestly, I, I, not meaning to denigrate the kid, how David Shaw made the decision to start Jack West over Tanner McKee. Tanner McKee didn't look good. Don't get me wrong. Jack West is unplayable. You cannot play him. Taylor um, McKee is a guy who will be good in next season. Or he'll develop. Now. Yeah. He has potential. Uh, yeah. We've seen Jack West. We saw him against UCLA a few years ago in his first college football game, and he looked terrible. And he doesn't look a whole lot better now. He looks like seasoned terrible. So they um, were alternating series, and then Jack and then Tanner McKee came in, did better. And I think everyone... They had a little bit of momentum, and then he brought Jack West back in. he brought Jack West back in. Like, he's decided he's just going to alternate him for the game. And he's not... No matter who's playing better and who's playing, like, putridly, doesn't matter. He's playing... He's alternating. David David Shaw is one of my... Because, obviously, I know he's your guy. But he's... Yeah. He is... He... God... After the game, did you see he complained? He's pissed off at Fox for an early kickoff time. Yeah. Uh-uh. yeah th- 
you don't like you don't lose a game like that 24 to 7 and the thing is another thing that just stood out from that game Kansas State's coach is really good um he's the I think North Dakota State guy um who took that job yeah Uh, he's really good like some of their like schemes on offense it was just like damn they're doing they're doing some interesting things some clever things that are really disrupting Stanford you shouldn't go and lose by 17 points to Kansas State right there Stanford if you're any good and you're not so yeah um, yeah that, that was that was that was stunning and um, but i guess the point is the point is for ucla this is a wide open conference getting back to yeah. like kind of the initial thing that sparked this discussion uh ucla I, okay yeah bill Connolly's talk it, you know i think he does that at the beginning of the year just to give some love to different um you know schools that haven't had some love in a while uh, but uh, the possibilities are there. I mean, UCLA, Fresno State. So one thing, Fresno State uh, in two weeks is going to be a tough game. I actually think it's going to be tougher than this LSU game. Um, uh, I agree. Yeah. Fresno State's going to be they're they're pretty good and they're really well coached. Um, so that's that's one. Um, and then you've got Utah on the road. I think it's still going to be a really tough game because it's always a really tough game. Yeah. Um, I think USC. Um, I think USC in the same way that LSU was probably. Um, a good matchup for UCLA. USC doesn't really care about running the ball at all anyway. Um, in fact, they're probably better when they just kind of, eh, whatever, we're just going to throw the ball around. It might not be a great matchup um, for this defense. Like, they might be able to get some things going against this defense. I think um, I agree, but, yeah. But watching Oregon, watching those other teams, I, I'm having a hard time seeing UCLA really, really struggling in those games unless the wheels come off. Um, Utah and USC and Fresno State, I think, are the tougher ones just for me from a both matchup and location standpoint uh, left on the schedule. And if they break through those, yeah, I mean, I I think you got to should this team be a top four team in the in the country this year? Maybe not, but just the way that things break, they might end up being there. I think you got to throw Arizona State in there too, because uh, what like you, you made a really good point that. Quarterbacks, quarterbacking in the Pac-12 is down. That's going to fit in perfectly with what UCLA does defensively. Because as we've always said, and we've never understood why more coordinators never took advantage, in college, quarterbacks are, these are 20-something-year-olds who don't know how to play. They're young, they're amateurs. They don't even have, most of them don't have NFL talent. Go put a lot of pressure on them and make them, make mistakes and that's what this defense is really designed to do so the opposing teams on UCLA schedule that have good quarterbacks will have I wouldn't say an advantage but they'll have a chance they'll they'll have the better chances and if you can run and Arizona State does both the quarterback's pretty good and they can run so I would throw Arizona State in there in there too but the point about quarterbacking it's a it's a good fit this year. We we've been saying that you know the schedule was you know before coming into the season, we even said ah I'd I'd say usually it was ten and two if the schedule wasn't so tough if they were playing Oregon State and Washington State instead of Oregon and Washington. But here's the counter to that that it's a good fit this year from the standpoint there aren't many good quarterbacks right now in the Pac-12 or experienced and good and talented. So that's a yeah. really good fit for UCLA's defensive scheme. It is, um, and it's uh, yeah, and I, I think it's uh, it's fair um, to uh, to start getting a little excited about what the rest of the year could look like. Um, yeah, it's two and zero. It's early, the whole thing, but um, 
I don't know. There's enough to have been. There's enough to see already from what the rest of the league look like. Looks like what UCLA looks like. Um, to think that yeah, um, there's potential for not just this being a Chip Kelly breakthrough year or whatever that we were talking about in the preseason. Like, oh, if they get eight and four, or nine and three, or even ten and two, that could be you know enough to really start the ball rolling for the future. This could be it right now. Like this could be the future that you all yeah. have been wishing for. Um, because UCLA could. This is one of those years that has the you know the door of possibility opened. Um, uh, you know they they could be really good. Uh, they've I, I, done what they've needed to do so far. Yeah. Um, and LSU, yeah, we're we're saying they're probably not two years ago LSU. They might be somewhere between last year and two years ago though. Um, if they can figure some things out, looking at their schedule. That might be an eight and four LSU team. It might be nine and three. Um, it could happen. Um, yeah, the wheels could completely fall off, but uh, they still have talent. Um, and uh, again, offensively, I think they they have some pieces to work with. It's more defensively where they need to make some adjustments. But Ed Orgeron's a defensive coach, um, so maybe he you know steps in, figures that out a little bit more. But he they doesn't might even be... have a, he doesn't even have headphones on during the game. He, he's I know not, he's such he's... A, he's such a rah rah. He's such a rah rah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I, I guess what I'm saying is that they've got now a, a semi signature win that maybe could still end up being pretty good. LSU has rallied before from early season uh, semi meltdowns, um, and you got that on the resume. Potentially beating a decent Fresno State team in a couple of weeks. Um, there's the. Things are set up for for UCLA to do pretty well here. A few things I want to talk about, just takeaways from the from the game, not necessarily that things you know on the field. First, um, Martin Jarman, uh, his his ideas for filling the Rose Bowl were pretty spot on. I mean, he gave all recent grads tickets for thirty bucks. Um, that was one of the, I, that has to be the number one student section for a preseason, a, a non conference game before school is in ever in the history of UCLA. That was a phenomenal student section. Um, I don't think I ever remember a student section that big for a game that the students were not in class yet. That was phenomenal. I mean, may, I don't even know how to say major props. It, that doesn't even do it justice. And then getting on the mic in the second half and telling everyone to stand and stay standing was absolutely spot on. So have to talk about that. I, I heard, do you watch Ted Lasso? Yeah. Okay, you know you know the Roy Kent cheer? Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard there was a Roy Kent type cheer going up for Quentin Lake. <laughs> he's here. He's everywhere. Roy Kent, but doing it for Quentin Lake. It was great. great. Um, so uh, that was all fantastic. Some recruits said, "Wow, the energy the Rose Bowl was incredible." Some who came from the USA USC game said, uh, "Obviously, they're playing San Jose State, but there was a marked difference in energy and vibe." So, I mean, we haven't felt or heard or anything about that. You know, kind of thing in a long time. And then we have to touch on the Sissy Blue comment by our friend Ed. Um, what a, what an absolute own goal. I mean, he's done, doing exactly. the, the locking those little boys, soccer. doing the, those little locking those little boys in the Coliseum eight years ago. You would think, 
oh, right, right. I, I got pasted by three touchdowns the last time I, I talked some crap before the game. Maybe I, I just won't do this again. Um, yeah, and not like because that's like the motivating factor, but simply because you got so embarrassed afterwards by having said that. Like an, another coach, the coach of the opposing team, referenced it immediately in his post-game press conference. Maybe don't do that again, Ed. But Ed's yeah. really stupid. So He Ed, looked like a typical kind of fan who was oh, riled God. up by an opposing fan to talk trash and he couldn't help himself. If you were analyzing the body language of the whole thing, he was a little bit nervous about what he said almost immediately after he said it. You hear, you kind of heard him go, <laughs> as he's like walking into the tunnel. Like, I think he realized, oh, I just said something. Um, and then just got owned and the thing is it was such a perfect way for them to own him it wasn't with like balletic um you know receiver play or like really huge you know open field plays or whatever it was just beating them on the lines over and over and over again just out physicaling them um after he made a sissy blue comment it's and just then like you, and then you see like football trolling him with the with the oh team. my god so beautiful <laughs> so so good so good um oh and just, I mean, just such an absolute meathead. Um, he is and, one of our favorites, though. He is an, he is a, just a character. Like he's a, he, he's a character. You would cast this guy in a movie. I mean, he is a character. I Maybe. love Edo as a, as a college football character. I love yeah. having him around. Um, but it is so beautiful every time he's done this that it's just blown up immediately in his face. And I own my only wish is that. The luck had gone a little bit more in UCLA's favor in this game, and they had actually won by three touchdowns. Because yeah. um, that would have been one perfect. Of those fumbles. Yeah, because they look back on it and you say, "Oh, 28-27, that was a nice win." Uh, it was a beatdown. Like they really did crush them, um, and it should have been more. Uh, and it would have been nicer uh, given the context of what uh, Big Dumb Edo had said before the game <laughs> if they had really, really put it to him. So, um, uh, how this. Well, first, how this game impacts recruiting and then how a potentially, you know, breakthrough kind of season would impact recruiting. I've been saying it for a while. Um, A lot of people, I don't think, have necessarily believed it, but I think most have. I've, you know, I've, I've seen UCLA in various stages of its program. And when it's winning... This isn't, this isn't, this is literally is what happened is that recruits call them up. Um, it's, it happened many times. Uh, I've been saying for a while we could, you know, and I, I just want to set this first set the narrative so that it's in, there are facts involved. Let's not, let's not reinvent what Chip Kelly did in recruiting. There were a lot of flaws in his recruiting approach. This is not part of a master plan. It didn't have to be as difficult in recruiting as Chip Kelly made it out to be. He recruited like he was already winning 10 games a year. Now, if he does win 10 games a year, yeah, the flood, the recruiting floodgates will, will open up. Like I've been saying for a while, they will have guys calling them up that they thought they had you know, they never would have thought they had a chance with. There'll be some guys who UCLA was probably running fourth or fifth for. You know, there are guys who uh, are leaning towards Stanford or committed to Stanford, let's say, or even USC. If 
both of them, those two programs don't have like really great years. And we can probably go out on a limb and say that about Stanford, that some, some of these recruits are going to be realizing that they want to be a part of UCLA and not part of, of that other program. So when it comes to recruiting, this is going to be, if they do have a winning season, they keep playing like this, it's going to be very, very exciting. There are going to be things happening in recruiting that we can't even come close to anticipate because it's too, it's even too hard to predict what kind of energy a winning team projects the electricity in the Rose Bowl, how it affects recruits when they're on official visits that you it's you can't quantify it it's steve lavin magical <laughs> well, um so it, uh, yeah uh, just to finish this off there have been some people saying when are we turning the corner when are we turning the corner a good season uh, i'm not even going to say you need a couple of good seasons let's say a, a breakthrough season and then how it in and then i'd say like a top 10 recruiting class and, and I'll throw in just not a top 10 recruiting class of high school uh, prospects. That includes the transfer portal. Because if it keeps going this way, UCLA is going to light up the transfer portal uh, next offseason. So turning a corner, if that's what we're looking for, it's got to be about recruiting too. So we're going to have to probably wait until next spring to say turning the corner. But if this goes the way it looks like it's going... Everyone get on the bus because the corner is going to be turned. Yeah, I mean, just being good is a huge part of it. But the way they have played um, and the the schemes that they have, um, it's going to be attractive from like a this is fun and good standpoint. Like yeah. the the defensive scheme they're playing. Um, how attractive is that for? I don't know. You're just like athletic. I don't know, 6'1", 210-pound guy to say, oh, wow, I can be rushing the passer. I can be in coverage. I can do a wide variety of things in this scheme. Um, just, I don't know. I, I, I look at that and I would say, wow, that's that would be something pretty enticing for me if I was playing that just kind of in that sort of defense. Just along um, that same line, just to keep, so I don't, Harrison Taggart, who now there are crystal balls at UCLA, which is before they even played, 6'2", 200-pound guy who runs a 4'5". I, yeah. I mean, he could be a Will. He could be a Raider. He, I, I mean, he could be a striker. He's got to be looking at this and going, oh, my gosh, this is so much fun, and it's perfect for me. So, yeah, keep yeah. going. And so you've got that. You've got the fact that uh, UCLA has now taken guys in the transfer portal um, in successive years, I think the last three years, and turned them into impact starters or semi-starters in their first year. Um, I mean, we made this point uh, before the LSU game, but running back, look, Charbonnet and Britton Brown might both be gone next year, but if you are a transfer running back, say if you are the top transfer running back on the market next year, uh, is there a more attractive destination than UCLA's running scheme? I I, I don't know. Um, And if you are an offensive lineman who wants to start immediately and you have some experience... Well, Paul Gratton came in and started immediately last year. Um, it's not too tough to pick up uh, would be the kind of lesson there. You can jump in and start, um, and there's going to be starting time available. Um, and the way Chip Kelly's program has integrated transfers, uh, because one of the concerns, and 
look what happened with LSU. They have that transfer linebacker from Clemson who everyone on the board was telling me, oh, he's going to be playing. Why haven't you included him in the preview? Well, the reason I didn't include him in the preview is because I read all the LSU stuff saying, oh, yeah, he's not starting and he might not play. Um, that's stupid um, if you're LSU because you've got a guy with talent and that's what? Your your scheme is too complex to insert a transfer? Well, you're making a really bad argument for the future. Chip Kelly's program, on the other hand, you can start Quantrez Knight in year one. You can start Paul Gratton in year one. You can give Zach Charbonnet essentially starter time in year one. Uh, that's that's compelling. Um, so they have, I think, on two on, on several levels, they've got a transfer um, argument and an argument to get the top transfers. First, it's UCLA. I mean, it's in LA. You're already going to get interest from a lot of guys. But now you have success, and you have schemes, and you have shown already that you are willing to insert those guys and play them immediately. Um, and I think for, you know, again, guys who have maybe one or two or three years left of college, that is much more of a priority than it was when they were, you know, uh, high school seniors. So there's a lot of compelling reasons why this will continue to be a good transfer spot destination. And there's a lot of compelling reasons why this should also jumpstart high school recruiting. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really, it's really a good situation that UCLA has found itself in. Um, yeah, whatever. Did it need to take three years? I'm not even going to make that argument anymore. I mean, because frankly, whatever. If if they actually pull off um, what I think is going to be a very good to elite season now, water under the bridge for me. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's not hard though. They're they're not. You you can reconcile it. You can say. Was it was it worth going through all that pain for a like a tenant a, a Rose Bowl champion uh, a Pac-12 championship? And, and the Rose answer Bowl? is yes, yes. <laughs> but but did it have to be this way? The answer is no, no. So they're completely reconciled. I have no problem with that. Um, but talking about recruiting, uh, I think what UCLA's and this is going to be very interesting too because this UCLA staff doesn't know. I think doesn't know what they're in for. They have. I don't think they know what's going. If they if they win ten games, or anything, uh, what we would deem as a vastly successful season, they are gonna. Their recruiting is going to take off to the point that it's unrecognizable, and, and they don't even know what what is going to happen. So, like the quarterback who's committed to Cal, Justin Martin. I mean, just from his standpoint, do you want to play in this great, incredible, dynamic offense, or do you want to go play a Cal right now? <laughs> um, I, I didn't mean that to get a laugh out of you. I was <laughs> being factual. I mean, <laughs> okay, then I laugh too. Um, so let's say he does want to flip. Does... I've heard UCLA will consider him an absolute take, but is he, should they, should he be? Um, if this goes the way you, it could go, there could be some, like they called um, that former Baylor. They checked in with that former Baylor, just guy decommitted from Baylor, Zach Pyron. Um, if this goes the way it could go, I don't, and I, I shouldn't say would you settle for Justin Martin because I think he's a good prospect, but you could get a phenomenal quarterback prospect. Um, that's going to be the. I, you just got to love and and relish the fact that 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 might be UCLA's recruiting issue from here until signing day. Well, here and through spring, 
actually. So, yeah, that's the challenge. And then the real challenge now with with the transfer portal, do you take a high school prospect who's very good, let's say, because you got to think you're going to be really, really a compelling destination for, for transfers coming out of the portal. Uh, that's that's a tough thing to really try to gauge. Right now, uh, they would be very attractive to both running backs, transfer running backs, and transfer quarterbacks, I'd have to think. So, yeah, that's going to be something to, to truly think about like how good that you've got to really think about how good the transfer portal could be. And do you have to adapt your high school recruiting because of it? Yeah. And if you're looking at it, I think when we start doing, um, you know, when we start getting a little bit more intense about it and start doing a bunch of recruiting breakdowns, I think it's, it's a question of um, where do you need an immediate impact starter level guy? And that's where you need to target the transfer market. Like I think you need one starter level offensive lineman you need one starter level running back um and those guys i think you gotta you gotta target okay who's the best offensive lineman we can get on the portal who's the best running back we can get on the portal i don't think you tackle those positions with high school recruiting right now because you need an immediate impact guy right now um on the offensive line you know it it does look okay sean ryan might leave after this year paul gratton's done after this year um but i mean john Gaines should be back Antonio Mafia, I, I, I mean, yes, he's a fourth-year guy, but I don't see him taking off. Um, and Alec Anderson, I think, has another year, right? Oh, absolutely. He's only a Richard. He's got two more years. Yeah, he's got yeah. two more years given the COVID stuff. So Sam, Sam Razzo. Sam Razzo, Duke Clemens. Um, they've got guys who have some real experience, um, but adding another impact guy would be huge. Um, running back, obviously, they're probably going to need to replace at least Brown and potentially Charbonnet as well. Um, but that's, I think the way you've got to think about it. Um, but, and I think they can do that in the same sort of way that Chip Kelly did it essentially this past year, which is leave for maybe five spots available for those transfer pickups, um, because it's going to be an attractive destination for them. And you don't want to make that your entire program, but sprinkling in four or five of those guys is really good every year, especially if you can find the cultural fits, like obviously Q Knight was. Um, who who fit the system and fit um, kind of what you're trying to do just culturally. Yeah. Yeah, just to be clear, uh, the only guy who won't have eligibility next year on the offensive line is Paul Gratton. Everyone yeah. else will have eligibility. And um, Sean Ryan, I would imagine, is leaving because he's already getting talked about as a potential uh, Yeah, first he's the first rounder, yeah. Um, while we're on recruiting, just want to mention, too, uh, UCLA got that boom. And... Uh, I mean, we're not giving away anything. Uh, obviously, Greg Biggins put in a crystal ball for Sam Yu and the offensive lineman. Uh, I'm, I, I have to. He's rated three stars by twenty four seven, which I got a little issue with that. I mean, I, we just have to say our guys, Greg Biggins and uh, Brandon Huffman and Blair Angulo, are, are easily the best recruiting guys in a region. It's not close. We're so lucky. It's incredible. There's a um, huge butt coming. There, there is a huge butt. Um, it's not. I don't. I wouldn't even give it a butt. I would just say overall, I think 
Samyun might be more of a lower a lower end four star from just seeing him. Um, and yes, you know the composite, the twenty four seven composite is based on. 24-7's rankings, Rivals, and ESPN. And ESPN hasn't even ranked him yet. And he 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 was at one of their ESPN uh, combines, so that makes no sense. Way underrated if you just look, the, look at the ranking. He's a, In my opinion, he's a lower-end four-star guy from, from what I've seen of him, and I've looked at him a lot on tape. And could you find a better fit? He's a 4.5 GPA student. Um, just a, an excellent, excellent fit. So that that would be a huge, huge uh, result coming out of of the LSU win. Um, yeah. And then there are probably a number of other verbal commitments uh, coming up soon. I think there's going to be a lot of high school guys that say, "Holy crap! Um, I better jump on that thing now." Because they're they might not a scholarship might not be available later. Uh, I I'll be happy with a good you know if it gets a lot of guys that I like, but I'm not going to be ultimately satisfied with UCLA's class unless it gets a elite middle linebacker prospect. Elite, it has to. It's just <laughs> it's been it's been the bane of Chip Kelly's. Uh, recruiting has not been able to get an elite high school middle linebacker uh, prospect. And I'll, I'll tell you the guy, it's Carson Tabarachi. That's our guy. That's the guy they've got to pull out. Um, they get him. Uh, he's from he's uh, from Utah. He's big kid, 6'2", probably 230. Runs really well. He, if you watch... If you watch his tape from high school, he, he plays tailback. And damn, he's a he's a good tailback. Um, he's got offers from big-name schools, uh, Ohio State. And, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, competition out there. But that's the guy they need. Even if they get a transfer middle linebacker, they need the guy of the future, and that's the guy. So that's what, when it comes to recruiting, that's what we, that's what you should that's something we should all be looking for is a middle line. And if they win and they do really well, there's probably some middle linebacker prospect out there. We don't even to be named later. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, Tracy, that was um, fun, Dave. That was, that fun. was fun. Um, do you have anything else? Anything else you want to share? This is a safe space. No, I think I'm no? fine. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. This is good. This is this made this made my morning. I like it. it we should it do did. this all the time without even doing podcast. We should just talk in the morning we should. for an hour. Yeah. We should just have a morning conversation every single day for approximately fifty nine minutes and five seconds. I feel really good about that. Let's do it tomorrow. Okay. Sounds great. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. Um, it's a brave new world out there, everyone. Go enjoy it. It's a brave new world. Have fun.